It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot. Here's Corey Davis, wide open. Davis. Still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And I'm honored to have a very special guest on the show right now to talk about the Jets 2021 offseason. Longtime midday host at WFAN with the now retired, I can't believe I'm saying that, Joe Beningo. And now he's doing afternoons at WFAN and also simulcast on SNY with Craig Carton. Mr. Evan Roberts. Evan, thanks for coming on the show, man. An honor to be here, sir. So let's get right into it. First question, Adam Gase, did you think it would go this badly? (laughs) you know it's funny i I was as negative as humanly possible joe and i both were even before he was hired i mean even during the interview process even before that we were negative that this was going to go horribly wrong i think that year one felt predictable uh i didn't expect them and him to fall flat on their face so i would say year one was pretty predictable but i did not expect the doom and gloom of year two and how awful that they were. And I I know you throw in the whole, hey, they could have finished with the worst record and got Trevor Lawrence thing. But I didn't expect it to kind of hit the rock bottom that it did. So from that standpoint, I was surprised. But I think we all knew that Adam Gase being hired as the head coach was temporary, that we were basically going to sit here for two years, maybe longer, waiting for his inevitable firing. And I guess the good news that we could take out of it is that it was only two years. We only wasted two years of our lives watching the Adam Gase coach New York Jets. Two years and Sam Darnold's possibilities of becoming a franchise quarterback. But we'll get back to that in a little bit. Before we do, though, I want to talk about the guy who took over for Adam Gase, and that's Robert Sala. What did you think of the hiring? I loved it. And I think a part of loving it was he wasn't Adam Gase, and he's the opposite of Adam Gase in every way. But... Everything about Salah, reading about him, hearing about him, watching him in the past, knowing his track record with the San Francisco 49ers, I think everything about him was appealing. Uh, Everything about him reeked of a head coach that was going to be successful, or at least had a much better chance of being more successful than some of the past coaches that we've had. So to me, there was a lot of optimism. And I also think you remember back when they interviewed him, and most Jet fans, myself included, we all wanted them to not let him leave the room and he left the room and all of a sudden he's in the car he's driving to philadelphia and i think for a lot of us there was a thought of typical jets we're going to lose the dream candidate we're going to lose our target we're going to lose the best available candidate and there was something special about hearing wait a second they got him you know even after (laughs) he left the room that made this feel different that made this feel like a great hiring now with all that said he hasn't coached the game yet Mm-hmm. We have been built up before. We've had huge expectations before that this guy is going to be the next great head coach. 
But at least for now, for the moment, before he's coached the game, before we've second-guessed him or first-guessed him, uh, it was a hire I loved. It's a hire most Jet fans love, and certainly there's a lot of optimism with him moving forward. Do you feel the same way about the coaching staff he assembled? Absolutely. I mean, really, this offseason and the staff that he's assembled gives you hope. And that's the key word that I have going into next year or going into a couple of weeks. Not that this team's going to win a Super Bowl, not that they're going to make the playoffs, but it feels like this is a competent coaching staff. They've got the right minds around a young quarterback. And so, you know, obviously, we may be singing a different tune come mid-October <laughs> based on the <laughs> results, but I think in the moment, I trust Salah as the head coach. I like the staff he's assembled, and I'm ready to see what they've got. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Evan, let's talk a little bit about free agency, but before we get to the guys that the Jets brought in from the outside, I want to talk about the inside. And we'll start with Marcus May because he was the biggest name. They franchise tagged him. Didn't work out a long-term deal. Are you disappointed about that? Do you think it was the right move from their perspective and from his? And then when you look around at the other guys that the Jets could have brought back and didn't, Jordan Jenkins, Brian Poole, some of the notable names, what do you think of how they handled the guys that they had internally? Starting with Marcus May, here's the thing. I mean, what, what frustrated me about what happened with Jamal a year ago is that when you draft good players, especially when you're the Jets, who don't exactly have the greatest track record of drafting quality players, you want to keep those guys long-term. You know, you don't draft a guy for three years later to say, hey, let's go move him for more draft picks. You know, that that's the thing that really boggled my mind a year ago. And I understand Jamal's having his issues contract-wise with Seattle. And that move looks good. As we sit here a year later, it looks like a smart move. With that said, I can't get wrapped up about not locking Marcus May up to a big contract when as good as Marcus was last year, he's not Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. You know, I, Do I have an appetite to have to lock him up to a contract that's going to pay him like one of the top safeties in the NFL? Not really. I mean, ideally, I'd like to see them work something out long term. But after everything that happened with Jamal a year ago, it's tough to look at the main negotiations and say, oh, my God, you've got to find a way to lock them up. So I'm not fully devastated about that. Um, as far as the rest of the offseason is concerned, as far as keeping their own guys and what they were able to do, here's the way I look at it besides the corner position, which I'll throw to the side because <laughs> that's an issue. Mm-hmm. I feel like defensively they're a better team on paper than what they were a year ago by a significant margin. I think they've got more talent on paper than they had a year ago. And obviously, we all expect them to be much better coached than they were a year ago. So from that perspective, when you look at it as an entirety and not just specifically, I overall like what Joe Douglas has done because defensively, this is, besides corner, let's leave that out for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. I think this is actually a somewhat or pretty talented defensive unit. So overall, I like what he's done. So you like the moves that they made externally, too, to get Carl Lawson, and then not on defense but on offense to get a guy like Corey Davis. You thought the offseason strategy with free agency was sound? So, well, first of all, one guy, Carl Lawson, yes. Even bringing in Sheldon Rankins, I love that move. Mm-hmm. I think defensively, and you know, I don't know what C.J. Mosley is going to be. I know that's not a move, but he's on the roster. And there was a part of me, I don't know if you felt this way, that they were going to find a way to just dump him. And I was mm-hmm. never in favor of that because let's not forget that game <laughs> right. Not even a full game that C.J. Mosley had his defining moment as a Jet against Buffalo a year and a half ago. And there's a part of me that says, I want to see what C.J. Mosley has when he's actually out there playing. Mm-hmm. Um, Corey Davis, here's what I told myself about Corey Davis, because to be honest with you, when they first signed him, I wasn't ecstatic. And I'm still bitter that they didn't keep Robbie Anderson from a year ago. 
what I tell myself about Corey Davis, and maybe we all have to tell ourselves, is that he's not the guy that we kind of expected coming out of college years ago. You know, he's mm. not the guy that Tennessee Titans drafted. We can't have that expectation. I mean, when he was first drafted as a top 10 pick, there was a thought of this is a Hall of Fame talent. This is going to be an elite level wide receiver. He's not that. What I think he is is a solid wide receiver, a weapon to give Zach Wilson. Uh, I don't think he's vastly overpaid by any stretch. So I, I'm, I, the move has grown on me, to say the least. Uh, but at first, I think I had a tough time looking past what we thought Corey Davis was going to be and what he's actually turned out to be overall in the NFL. Corey Davis, when he first signed, said it was his understanding that the guy that was going to be throwing him the passes was Sam Darnold. Didn't work out that way, and I think we all kind of realized fairly early on in the process that Sam Darnold was going to be traded. It was just going to be a matter of where and when and to who, and so he ends up getting traded to the Carolina Panthers. The Jets get a two and a four next year, a six this past year, so I wanted to ask you, number one, how surprised are you that it ended this way for Sam Darnold? Because I remember just how excited all of us were when the Jets drafted Darnold in 2018. And to think that just three years later, he'd be gone unceremoniously and that they'd be moving on to another quarterback who they picked in the top five, to me, is pretty surprising. And then the other thing is, do you think Joe Douglas did a good job in getting value for him? Do you think that Douglas got the most that he possibly could for a guy who certainly struggled a lot, especially last year, but who we all know is young and has a lot of upside? It's devastating that it didn't work out because... I, like you and many other Jet fans, had the hope that this was the guy we were waiting for. This is the answer at the quarterback position that, for our generation, we've never witnessed. We've had glimpses. We've had hopes. We've never had that guy. And I think what hit me early on during the Gase era was, wow, there's no way we're going to be able to see Sam Darnold survive this. What I meant by that was, if Adam Gase is going to be fired, which we all knew was going to be inevitable, how is Sam Darnold going to exist after that? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if Gase gets fired after two years, which he did, obviously a big part of that is going to be we didn't see development from Sam. And even though I put a lot of it on the coaching staff and a lot of it on the lack of talent around them, so not to make excuses for Sam, but I think that was a big part of why he didn't put it together. And look, the truth will be in the pudding. He's been given an opportunity now in Carolina, and if he turns into a good quarterback, then yeah, we'll look more back at Gase and the talent that was placed around them and say that was a big part of his failure here. But it kind of became obvious to me maybe a little over a year ago, there's no way he's going to survive this. Like if Adam Gase isn't the answer at head coach, we all know he wasn't, well, how the hell is Sam going to exist with a third different head coach? It just never felt realistic, especially when they sunk in the standings the way they did and they were going to be picking top two. So we knew for a while and it was depressing because, again, this It's weird. I don't sit here blaming Sam. I don't sit here looking at it and saying, boy, they picked the wrong guy. We did it again. I look at it as an organizational failure. And and that's not to exonerate Sam completely, but that's a big part of it. As far as what he got back, I actually thought he did well, man, because I know at first there was the dream of they could get a first-round pick. I never knew how realistic that truly was going to be. To turn around for a guy who overall failed, again, partially because of the organization, partially for him, and to get a two and a four, I mean, surprised me in the moment. My first reaction, I remember, it was it was in a Monday, and it was like opening day for the Mets. Somehow these events all converged at the same time, and Sam got traded. And my first reaction was, what do we get? What do we get? What do we get? And that initial reaction I had was, not bad. 
that's just that's not a bad return for a guy that didn't work out. And it's weird too, man, because I hope he's successful, but I hope he's not too successful. <laughs> because I think that would eat us alive. Mm-hmm. So I, I want I guess here's the perfect scenario. He's good, but Zach Wilson's just a lot better. So we could at least live in a world where, yeah, we failed Sam. Look, we were right. He was going to be a good quarterback. But, hey, it worked out because the kid we drafted is even better. So I guess that's the dream scenarios. It works out for Sam, but it works out even better for us. I like what Dan Hansis from the Around the NFL podcast said. If Sam Darnold turns out to be a more athletic Andy Dalton in his prime type of player, then that's cool because then Darnold will go on to have a reasonably successful career and Jets fans won't feel bad about the fact that they turned around and traded him to Carolina. That, of course, is if, as you said, Zach Wilson becomes better than that. We all hope that he will be. He was picked at number two overall. They obviously could have traded out of the spot. There were a lot of options for them. They could have stuck with Darnold and tried to build around him. They could have gone in another direction, a quarterback altogether. But they did take Zach Wilson at number two out of BYU. And Evan, it seemed like they were zoomed in on him from the very beginning. Reports very early on were that they were in love with Wilson and they never moved off of that. What did you think of the selection of Wilson at number two? Is that what you would have done? Or would you maybe have taken fields, traded down? What do you think? We were so conditioned by the time the draft was occurring to know the reality that they loved Zach Wilson, like you said, and they were focused on him for so long that it almost felt inevitable for two months that as a Jet fan, I just grew to accept and kind of do my own research on Zach Wilson, watch YouTube clips on Zach Wilson, and almost, because we do this as fans sometimes, talk ourselves into what's going to happen Mm -hmm. because there was never a moment after the season ended where I thought they were going to keep Sam Darnold. There was never a moment where I thought they were going to draft Justin Fields. They were so focused on Zach Wilson, like you said. So I spent three months, you know, researching Zach Wilson, learning more about him because I'm not going to lie. I wasn't sitting there watching BYU football and he wasn't on my mind during the season. There was one college quarterback on our mind during the NFL season. Mm -hmm. And obviously that guy ended up in Jacksonville. So I kind of accepted that's what they were going to do. I always liked Sam, but it just never made sense to try to reload and give him another shot from a salary structure standpoint. And just from a, is this really going to work standpoint? Because look, if you run it back with Sam and you put more talent around him and you say, all right, we're going to give him one more year and then we'll see. Well, what if the jets go six and 11? See, I added that extra game. I I didn't (laughs) forget. We have a 17 game season. They go six and 11. Great. We're not picking in the top five anymore. You know, we're not in that inevitable position where you want to be to draft a young quarterback, but you didn't see enough from Sam. You want to move on from Sam. Well, now all of a sudden you're dealing with a whole new crop of young quarterbacks. You're not picking from that same position you were picking in this year. And now you're moving off of Sam and probably getting less back because you've decided he's not the answer. Like that position seemed almost likely if they ran it back with Sam and that would have been the worst position to be in like, okay, great. We ran it back. We decided he's not the answer. Now what? So when you're picking number two, and this is kind of an opinion I had about the giants years ago when they drafted Saquon, when we would talk about it, I'd say, look, you hope you're not drafting this high ever again. So when you're here, get it right. Go Mm -hmm. get a franchise quarterback. So as much as I like Sam and still believe there was a chance for him to succeed, I just think the nature of the game 
And everything I just laid out was why they had to move on. It was just the right thing to do as painful as it was. So you think Wilson was the right move at number two? Yeah, and he better be. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Douglas, everything he's done that we like means nothing if he strikes out on Zach Wilson. But yes, I think it was the right move to make. But boy, oh boy, Joe Douglas's tenure as the GM of this team, it's all about did he get it right with the quarterback. And if he's going to get it right with the quarterback, a lot of that is going to be not repeating what he did with Sam Darnold. Because, Evan, like you said before, one major failing of Joe Douglas, but to a much greater extent, obviously, Mike McCagney was failing to surround Sam Darnold with the necessary talent, whether that meant weapons, whether that meant protection. And so if you looked in this draft, Joe Douglas went out of his way to not do that. And I want to start with the first guy that they drafted after Zach Wilson. They traded up to get Elijah Vera Tucker, gave up two thirds, and they got a fourth back. So people forget about that. They moved up from 23 to 14. And I like the move because to me, if there's a guy there that you think is a blue chip player at a super important position for you, and you've got a rookie quarterback you're looking to protect, and you've got a guy that you think could be there for the next 10 to 15 years with him and be a Pro Bowl, all pro type of player on that line, then you go ahead and you make that move. But a lot of people, especially the analytics guys, are saying the Jets overpaid and that unless Elijah Vera Tucker turns out to be a Hall of Fame level guard, it wasn't worth it. What did you think of the move? I loved it. I loved it because of exactly what you said. The most important thing you've got to do right now is protect Zach Wilson and give him the tools to succeed. I don't give a crap what the analytics department says. I don't care how they measure how good Vera Tucker needs to be. Right now, Joe Douglas has set up the fact that Zach Wilson's left side may be protected for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right? When Makai Becton stayed on the field, that was his biggest issue, staying on the field. He looks like a franchise left tackle. Look, I don't know what Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be, and obviously if he's a bust, this whole thing is moot. But he went out and said, I need to put another building block to protect Zach Wilson. That's exactly what he did. And everything I've seen and read about Vera Tucker gives me the hope that, look, he may not be a Hall of Famer. I'm not asking for that. But he's got a chance to be a really solid to Pro Bowl level left guard for the New York Jets for the next 10 years. And that was a priority. So I don't care about draft value charts or what the analytics say. Joe Douglas made it clear. It's what you know. It's what I know. I've got to protect Zach Wilson. And and look, all of this comes down to the basic idea that guys need to be good. You draft a guy, he's got to be good. That's the obvious. It's not worth repeating. Of course, the guy's got to be a good player. But I love the fact that right out of the gate, he said, I got my quarterback. Now I got to go protect him. Then I got to go get him weapons. And that's exactly what he did throughout the draft. So when he made that deal to move up and get Vera Tucker, I loved it because the priorities are in order. Protect Zach Wilson. And the overall strategy, as you said, was not just protect Zach Wilson, but go get him weapons. Because in the second round, they went and they got Elijah Moore, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. And then in the fourth round, since they traded away those two third rounders, they ended up getting Michael Carter, the running back out of North Carolina. And we know that the Jets were strongly considering taking Elijah Moore at 23 if they hadn't moved up. And they would have strongly considered taking Michael Carter in the third round if they hadn't moved those two third round picks. So that was really good fortune on their end. But they end up getting a guy who could be an excellent playmaker at wide receiver, a guy who could be an excellent playmaker at running back. And so now you're putting the pieces around Zach Wilson. And look, 
I know that they don't necessarily have as much of a veteran presence as this 2009 team did when Mark Sanchez came in here, but it appears that Joe Douglas is at least trying to follow that blueprint, right? Surround the quarterback with talent and make sure that everything is there for him to succeed, and if he doesn't, then it's on him. Sanchez, unfortunately, wasn't the guy we were hoping he was going to be. We don't know exactly what Zach Wilson's going to be yet, but if he's going to succeed or fail, he's going to at least be in a position where he's got guys around him that are going to help him as opposed to what we saw with, say, Geno Smith and then, of course, Sam Darnold. That's the biggest difference, and that's a big part of why I do have hope going into this season. It doesn't mean they're going to win 10 or 11 games, but it means exactly what you said. You've got Denzel Mims. You've got Corey Davis. You've got Elijah Moore. You still have Jamison Crowder. We can't forget him. Mm-hmm. They've they've given Zach Wilson weapons. The running game is a little bit different. It's funny. I like what I saw from Ty Johnson and Josh Adams <laughs> towards the end of the season. I don't know where they're going to fall in the depth chart at the running back position, but you mentioned Michael Carter adding him in the fourth round. I I like what Joe Douglas has done in terms of giving Zach Wilson tools and weapons, because that is the biggest failure of the past administration and Joe Douglas to a degree with Sam. And so I think overall, that's why I like what he's done during this offseason and like what he did during the draft. And again, it comes down to the guys need to be good. I mean, you can draft a wide receiver all you want. Wide receiver could turn out to be Stephen Hill. Okay. It doesn't matter, but the priorities are clearly in order. And that's, I got my young quarterback. Now I got to put him in position to succeed. Obviously, anything could happen. There could be a last-second addition or something, but we more or less know what this roster is going to be heading into the 2021 season. What's your reasonable prediction for the Jets this year? 6.5 is the over-under with Vegas. I think that's somewhere in line with where I would go. I personally think... As of right now, and this could change depending on how certain guys look in training camp, and obviously if Zach Wilson starts to play really good quickly, I'm in that five to six range right now, and I think I'm probably erring on the side of caution. What do you think? Yeah, I'm exactly in that area where we're looking at five, six wins, but we're looking at competence, and that's the thing I'm most excited about. I mean, it's rare that I go into a season – basically saying, yeah, you know what, however many wins we get, I'm just looking for competence. But that's how low the bar has been over the last couple of years. And that's the thing I'm most excited about. I I felt helpless going into the last two years in that we're not going to win a lot of games. And I don't think we have a great future because the head coach isn't the answer. So, look, I think the, the corners scare the crap out of me because this defense should be a lot better. And Coach Sala coaching this defense and coaching this team overall, but we know his defensive background. This should be the strength of this team. It worries me that I don't really trust who they have at the corner spot. But I look at this team as a growing young team that just needs to show us signs of moving in the right direction. And I expect that. So I think five or six wins. The division's the division's rough. Well, let's just call it as mm-hmm. especially if Miami swings a deal for Deshaun Watson, which my radio partner still thinks is it inevitably going to happen. We know how good Buffalo is. The Patriots should be a lot better. So that's the other problem. I mean, we are dealing with a division where you're already looking at you know six of the seventeen games and saying where are those wins coming from. So. I think five or six is a reasonable number, but I'm still excited because we're talking about competent leadership for the first time in a long time. 
and hopefully entertaining football for the first time in a long time. It's been a few years since we've watched games on Sunday and actually enjoyed ourselves. Woody Johnson's back, by the way, Evan. I want to ask you about that. Any thoughts on that in particular? I mean, look, Woody's not a great owner, but wasn't Christopher worse? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, we, if we're comparing the Woody Johnson era versus the Christopher Johnson era, I'd have to give Woody the edge over Christopher. So him being back is not a bad thing. I could do without his tweets. I mean, do we really need to see old videos from 15 years ago randomly tweeted out by Woody? Um, but he's clearly running the team. I mean, the Christopher Johnson era, as far as I'm concerned, is over. We remember how hands-on Woody used to be, like being at practices, like standing there next to Tannenbaum and Rex. Um, but as much as I may not love Woody Johnson as an owner, I do give him this. I think he is a better owner than his brother. So from that standpoint, welcome back, Woody. <laughs> Low bar, but I think you are correct on that one, and the evidence seems to yeah. bear that out. I know you have to run in a few minutes, Evan, so real quickly, while I have you, you and I share something in common. We are both diehard Jets and Nets fans, and I don't think that there are a lot of people that have that in common. So I wanted to ask you, with the Nets offseason coming up now, I know we're excited to get year number two of the big three, but what do you think they're going to do here in the offseason? What do you want them to do? What are you looking for here? I want them to run it back. I want them to keep Spencer Dinwiddie. I want them to keep Bruce Brown. I want them to keep Blake Griffin, but I know that's probably not going to happen. They're not going to want to pay Spencer Dinwiddie $20-plus million a year in the luxury tax bill that will come with it. So I think the handling of Dinwiddie is going to be the most intriguing thing to follow. I want him back. All right. I think most people would want him back because there's no negative to bringing him back other than Joseph size tax bill, which is not my problem and is mm-hmm. not your problem. Mm-hmm. But if you're not going to bring him back, you cannot lose him for nothing, which means you have to work out a sign and trade. So what can they get for Spencer Dinwiddie in a sign and trade? But look, ideally, there is so much unfinished business from what I witnessed this past year. The injuries ended up killing him. We all know that. So I want those three guys back. I'll be blunt about it. I would love for Brown, Dinwiddie, and Blake to all be back. I don't know how realistic that is. I think there's a chance Blake will go for greener pastures. We mentioned the Dinwiddie situation. So at the minimum, at least bring Bruce Brown back. But that's my priority, those three guys and somehow bringing them back. And that's going to dictate what they do during this offseason. I agree. I got to admit, Evan, I'm a little bit nervous because after this year, all three of those guys could opt out and the Nets could have to start all over again. So they've got to go all in, do everything they can. And like you said, Joe size tax bill is not my problem. It's not your problem. He's got $8 zillion, so I'll let him worry about that. Evan Roberts, the afternoon co-host at FAN with Craig Carton. Of course, it is simulcast on SNY as well. Thank you so much for coming on. This is a blast. Really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back soon. For those who want to check out your podcast, because they may know about your show. I'm sure they do if they're listening to this, but they may not know about your podcast where you talk about the Nets, you talk about pro wrestling, which we'll have to talk about another time because I'm a big pro wrestling fan myself. How can they check out your podcast? Evan Roberts podcast, very easily download it, check it out. I really appreciate it. It's a, it's a good place to just rant about wrestling because I'm with <laughs> you. I, <laughs> I can't get enough of it. So it's always fun to kind of do a talk show about pro wrestling every once in a while. So I get to do that, but uh, definitely check it out, the Evan Roberts Podcast, and I appreciate it, man.
Check out Evan's podcast. Check him out with Craig Carton Afternoons on FAN and on SNY. Check out everything we're doing at playlikeajet.com and on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel where Luke Grant is doing film breakdowns of Zach Wilson, who we talked about before, Elijah Moore, Morgan Moses, Makai Becton, Marcus May, Quentin Williams, and so much more. It's all there. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please go ahead and do that. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on the podcast yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing doesn't take you much time doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out so if you could go ahead and do that for us we'd be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcasts and content you know where to go that's play like a jet digital and play like a jet.com